0: Hello and welcome to the Crack Beer Community Podcast. I'm your host Brian and this episode of Beer Destination sees me visit the hot spot that is Dublin 8. Over the past several years, Dublin 8 has gone through a major period of regeneration with an entirely new, younger demographic moving into the area and calling it home. This has led to the creation of a whole host of new businesses, such as cafes, bars and restaurants in particular, aimed at serving the needs of both its new wave of residents as well as those who have lived in the area for generations. Steeped in both brewing and distilling history, which we'll hear more about throughout our chats, it's no surprise to find some of Ireland's most innovative breweries in the area. I'd like to state from the outset that there are simply too many spots in Dublin 8 to try and cover them all in one podcast episode. So, for this episode, we'll be focusing on the outer 8 area of Inchicore, Rialto and Dolphin's Barn. My first stop brings me to the Dublin suburb of Inchicore. Located a stone's throw away from the Black Horse Lewis stop is Rascals HQ, home to Rascals Brewing Company. Its bright, turquoise blue facade stands tall within Golden Bridge Industrial Estate, located on the Tyrconnell Road. It houses its full-scale production brew house, as well as a brilliant tap room and pizza restaurant. It's here where I sit down with Rascals co-founder Cothill Donahue and ask him to introduce himself and to tell us a little bit about Rascals.
1: Hi, my name is Cothill O'Donoghue. I'm the co-founder of Rascals Brewing Company. Um, my step and my wife started the business back in 2014. Um, we met and lived in New Zealand for quite a while and we saw the whole craft beer scene taking off over there. Uh, we started home brewing, moved home to Ireland and kept home brewing. Um, we, sp- and we had an interest in craft beer and ha- had a feeling that maybe there's something in this. Um, so, my plan originally was to cobble together old bits of dairy equipment and start brewing like that. but We uh, came across Galway Bay's old equipment. This was back in November 2013, um, brought that equipment over to Dublin, and, and that's when we started. Okay,
0: very good. So, you mentioned that you're over in New Zealand, uh, you were checking out the scene over there, uh, you are trying the beers that were going on. Was, was there any particular moment you had, or any particular beer that was like the, the, the spark, and said, right, this is what we need to be doing?
1: There were several, I suppose, because I was over there, um, like, went to the Irish Bar's first, and was drinking Guinness, and it wasn't very good because it was, wasn't the same as, as Guinness here at home, and started drinking some of the local kind of macro beers, and like, they didn't, didn't really float my boat. And there's one brewery called Tuatara, and they had a tap room in Wellington. And they went in there and they had like, whatever 10 or 15 different taps. Uh, I think half of them were theirs. And they are just these really hop-forward beers, uh, quite lot, quite high bitterness. Really, Some of them were all, almost tasted like green, resiny flavor, real piney and citrusy. Uh, and then there's some traditional uh, breweries over there as well. There's one brew- beer called Bookbinder, 3.8% kind of mild, um, really easy to drink. Um, we I used to go to an off-license uh, near us, and they did monthly whiskey tastings. So, you get like seven or eight different whiskies, and between the whiskies, you'd sip this book binder because it was really low ABV and malty. So, it would cleanse your palate and sip some water and then back into the next whiskey. So, it was really interesting. like yeah, The whole scene over there for, for um, alcohol it was really uh, progressive and uh, learned loads over there.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So you're using both water and then like a, a mild as a palate cleanser. Yeah, like so it's,
1: you, you have the strong whiskey flavor, and then uh, the mild just kind of brings it down to a certain level, and the water, you know, cleans it away completely, and then back to the whiskey again.
0: Okay, that's nice, interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that before. That's yeah. that's really cool. <laughs> uh, okay, then so the brewery itself, Rascals. Uh, what sort of ethos do you have as a brewery? Uh, what sort of kind of range of beers would you brew here?
1: Um, so we started off we went to the brew, brew interesting, uh, bold beers, things with different flavors in them. Our first beer was a ginger porter. Uh, that was a recipe that we'd upscaled from home brewing. Uh, we just wanted to, to come to the market with something different. Um, and then finally, when we so we brewed that with Brew Brewery initially, um, we did two batches of them. And then when we got our own equipment and when we launched, we did uh, a hoppy red ale, a big hop red, uh, the ginger porter, and then we'd a whit beer as well. So a lot of breweries had to kind of the three beers are pale, uh, red ale, and a stout. So we had all those three colours, I suppose, but a slightly, slight twist in the beers
0: okay yeah very good i remember big hop red well i distinctly yeah. remember going into uh big grill before walking in the first stand i saw was rascals and then first beer i had a pint of big hop red really it's like yeah, okay. beautiful good. beer
1: we brought it back again it took a bit of hiatus there for a couple of years and it was just canned uh last week and we have it in can and keg so it's carbonated in can and then keg here in the tap room. it's it's on nitro
0: nitro very yeah. interesting how's yeah. it tasting on nitro oh it's lovely it goes on so easy yeah <laughs> amazing that sounds incredible um so then yourself, Cahal, yeah. I suppose, tell me a bit about yourself, like what's your background and, and yeah. how, how did you how did you
1: get here? Um, so I worked in, in the pharmaceutical industry for years. Uh, I studied physics and instrumentation in Cork IT. I um, suppose coming out of school, you don't really know, don't really know what you want to do. Um, I always liked those kind of subjects and I suppose the aim was, all oh, I get a job in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, pays well, you know, security, all that kind of crack. Um, when I went to New Zealand, I worked for two different uh, farmer plants over there and one of them was a fermentation plant, so they were fermenting uh, bacteria and they would then kill the bacteria and there was a reaction and that would release um, something into the, into the products, and that was used into vaccinate animals. So a lot of the guys that were working in that plant were ex-brewers, like, so we got, got talking to them, I was home brewing at the same time, some of those guys were home brewing, so the whole process of flow and temperature and pressure and pumps and valves and all that, learned a lot there um, and then when I came home to Ireland uh, again got a job in the farm industry um, so I was doing maintenance in New Zealand came back here as a more validation so more kind of paperwork based and testing of the, the equipment um, so I have a good understanding of all that gear um, just applying those that knowledge in into a brewery rather than in the farmer it's the same similar process
0: and then you, you touched on your home brewing for a while before you you, you went into I suppose full-scale or yeah, a full-time yeah. professional how long were you home brewing on
1: that? Uh, when I came home, um, probably, what can I think, I came home in 2011 and then we launched in 2014, so I guess three years. Uh, but towards the end I was probably brew- home brewing maybe, probably every every two weeks I do a brew, you know, okay, b- batch it nice. off, keg it uh, or bottle it. I stopped bottling very quickly because it's so much work. <laughs> but I used to do the, do the little corny kegs and bring them to the house parties and get their friends to drink it and see what they thought.
0: Okay, very good. So when you're brewing that much, you must have a lot of, had a lot of very good beers, but you must have had a few disasters yeah, the absolutely. way. absolutely.
1: I remember we kept trying to replicate one of the New Zealand pale ales we used to drink over there, and I could not get the bitterness right. I was using the right hops and everything, but those hops, every time I brewed it came off, it severely bitter. I was like, oh, this is undrinkable. <laughs> um, and it was just down to the recipe, yeah. and just tweak it back, and to, don't because you're trying to put loads of hops in, uh, it just came into bitter.
0: Then, so on to Dublin 8, the area in general, I suppose. Yeah. Um, no, from your accent and no from speaking before, you're you're, you're a proud Cork man. Yeah, uh, yeah, how sure. how did you end up here? I suppose.
1: Ah, uh, well, Emma's from Donegal, so Dublin is halfway for us. So when we came, we both moved home from New Zealand. We decided to, to live in Dublin. She had friends and family here as well. Uh, I got a job here, um, and it just made sense for us to to live here. Um, and then we started the business. Uh, the first brewery was out in Raccoon, so we got uh, a really affordable warehouse out there, installed the the old brewery up there. We were there for four years, so from twenty fourteen to twenty eighteen. Um and then uh we met two business partners, uh Pat and Ed. They're they're involved in Rascals as well. Uh they actually own the building here in in Shakor. Okay. Um and it's a really good partnership because, you know, we've have a great location. Uh they've got good tenants.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah so Dublin A is because 'cause you're writing you're pretty much not quite Dublin city centre, but you're very, very close. It's easy to get here, hopping the Lewis or hopping a bus. Um, this building was perfect as well. It was it's big space. We were able to put the brewery in the back of the building and then have the tap room in the front.
0: Okay, yeah, very good. It's an, it's an extremely impressive setup here, and if anyone hasn't been, I highly recommend a visit. Thanks very much. Um, one thing you've done, and you, you do very well, is you're very much incorporated into the local community in terms of uh, supporting local charities, and especially St. Pat's and stuff yeah. like that. Um, how have you found the, the community support around that?
1: Oh, it's brilliant. Um, most of our customers here on a Friday Saturday night are from, from Dublin 8, Dublin 12. So, yeah, as you say, we sponsor St. Pat's. We also sponsor the obviously Ladies basketball team. They're in the National League at the moment. Uh, a few of the local charities and you know it's it's great because we want to be part of the community and it's important Um, you know if we just set up here and weren't involved in it I don't think we would have the same footfalls that we're getting so whatever we give out we're getting back in in spades.
0: It's excellent to hear and there's been that community buy-in like all around so yeah Yeah, it's it's brilliant.
1: Joe um, our marketing manager did a lot of research into this and he looked at some breweries in the UK and doing similar things and it just made total sense when he said yeah let's do this. Yeah.
0: Yeah brilliant yeah. And then, I suppose, the area itself, like, what do you love about Dublin 8? Because there's a real, I suppose, there's a buzz going on at the moment. There's a yeah. lot lot, lot happening here. So
1: There is, yeah. There's, there's so many things. Like, there's ourselves, um, there's Teeling Distillery, there's Dublin Liberty Distillery. Obviously, Guinness are in this area as well. Um, I mean, in, in Chicor in the last number of years, there's so many good coffee shops and cafes have opened. Um, I think a lot of younger people are living here. You know, it's... Just the, the city center they can afford to buy a house here or maybe they maybe not so much now but yeah. a, few, a couple of years ago they could afford to buy a house out here um so there's lots there's lots going on here yeah
0: yeah being such a destination here kind of the, the obviously the brewery you've got your tours inside you've got your tap room here and your pizzas like a big part of rascals is here and it's it's, it's a destination essentially so yeah. the COVID must have really really hurt the past few years
1: yeah it was so so up and down on and off on off o- lockdown uh open lockdown open Um, In a way we were lucky, so obviously when there was complete lockdowns uh, we were able to sell online on our web shops and that that did quite well, kept us brewing. Um, Beer sold well for all breweries in the supermarkets, uh, for all um, microbreweries. Then when there was outdoor dining only, we have an outdoor area, we we installed a big stretch tent outside the front of the building so people could have shelter. So when there was outdoor dining only we we kept going like that and then when we could open indoors, it is quite a big space so we could spread the tables and chairs out for social distancing. And then there was lockdowns again, outdoor dining again. So it was, we had to adapt and change uh, our, every time the, the government made a decision. I remember the first couple of times it was really awful because we're like, okay, we can't go anywhere. And we're inside here with all this produce ordered in. I think it was like on a Friday night, they announced it with all this produce ordered in for the restaurant. And we're like, what are we gonna do with this? You know, we ended up giving it away to the, to the staff and stuff. And then like two days later they was like, oh yeah, takeaways and stuff, that's allowed. So we're like, okay, let's, let's flip and start doing takeaways for the pizza. And that took on a life of its own. Um, we the guys were really busy, like so, we had two chefs working full time and the restaurant manager, and one other person just managing the takeaway orders and and delivering them out to the. Well, it wasn't delivery, but it was collection. Yeah. Um. So that was great. It kept those people in a job. It kept us tipping over as well. Yeah,
0: I know it was, it was yeah. great. There was a moment here. Um, we actually ran the event here in kind of in late August uh, upstairs. Uh, yeah. a Crack beer event. And there was a moment there when I was just looking around downstairs, the place was full, upstairs was full, outside was full, and I was just like,
1: yeah, this, pr- is, this is, like yeah, this yeah, is, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly, like this is, this is just, finally it just feels like we're back to <laughs> yeah.
1: normality. Yeah. And it's, love, great. I love it when you seen this, it's this nice buzz when people are here, enjoying your food, enjoying your beer, you can hear the chats and people are trying different drinks and, yeah, it's, it's nice to see it. Yeah, definitely,
0: definitely. Um, so then, the area itself. Then, what's your, your favourite thing to do around Dublin Eight when you're when you get a rare day off and you're able to tear yourself away from here?
1: There's a few things to do around here. I mean, right next door to us is uh, the Gravity Climbing Walls. Um, I don't do it a lot, but I've been there a few times. It's quite challenging. Um, I mean, the buildings are solid ours, so you can climb up to maybe five or six metres. Uh, so it's, that's quite fun. Um, I don't know. I usually I live at the other side of the park, so um, there are some good bars here. The Circular is a great place to go to, uh, Lucky's, um, Dudley's is a good bar as well, uh, on Thomas Street there, the Thomas House is a lovely bar, I'm just talking about going drinking all the yeah. time. <laughs> um, there are like, Richmond's bar, Richmond Barracks, so there's tourists to do there, obviously Kilmainham Jail, there's lots of tourism stuff to throw and this is kind of like we say, we call it Outer Dublin 8 compared to yeah, the city centre. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Then I suppose no, but no doubt it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster ride the past um, eight, eight, nine years or so. Uh, yeah, eight years, yeah, yeah, Eight years. So it must have been. There must be like obviously I said a lot of ups and downs along the way. Have there been any particular highlights?
1: Um, I think getting this place open. There was a lot of work went into it. Yeah. Uh, between getting the building, those six months of construction, uh, getting the tanks installed. It was. I still, I'll never forget it. Like it was such a mad day. We had to open the roof, had a crane here, dropping the tanks in one by one. And all had to be done within, well, two days actually, because we, we don't. The containers that came um, with the equipment, you only had them for a number of hours. So each container, like we have for two hours, empty it, get the tanks in. So it was a full on day. But like once you get all the tanks in and they're sitting there uh, in place, it was a proud moment, I suppose. Um, yeah, so then coming here on a Friday or Saturday night when I'm with friends or family and you can see people having a good time and then like all the staff are engaged with them and no, the staff here are great they give the people a really good service and you know I'm proud of that too Like
0: yeah yeah, yeah definitely so then I suppose what's on the horizon for Rascals now what's if we're looking in the, the Crystal Ball what's coming down in the, in the future
1: so directly upstairs from us here we had the space where you had the crack beer community uh, we want to develop that's pretty much an empty space at the moment I want to develop that further uh, and maybe put some more restaurant space up there or what we're potentially looking at as well is running music events up there uh, we do put DJs on Uh, here but there's that transition from restaurants into late bar is quite difficult it doesn't really work so we're thinking we have a separate space upstairs for that it could work really well also we we get a lot of corporate uh requests to book this venue out but we're pretty much full with our locals on friday and saturday nights anyway so it wouldn't be right to close it for the you know so if we have a separate space upstairs we can go we can accommodate those people as well okay very good um so that's just but a bit of work involved in that, just planning and all the different things that have to go through it, get it licensed, etc. Yeah. Um, then next year, I uh, went to run the Happy Days Beer Festival again out in the yard. That was a great fun last year. Again, that's another problem moment we had. We ran our own beer festival out there. That was great fun. Mm. Uh, again, a lot of work went in with the whole team for that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we pulled it off, so that was great. Yeah, absolutely
0: brilliant festival. Yeah, it was yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then so we can't not talk about the pizza and yeah, the tour and the, as well. The pizza
1: is just as important as the beer for us. Um, it's pizza and beer when people come here, um, and like the chefs are amazing here. They make some really good stuff. Um, like we sell pretty much as much as much pizza as we do beer nearly. Yeah, yeah. Have you a particular favorite on the menu? It changes. Like there's a really nice one right now. We do a monthly special for the pizzas. It's called the Hot House Flowers. They guys have um, so they got cauliflower and they um cooked it in in a hot sauce like. Same hot sauce you have in chicken wings, mm. and then that's put on the pizza along with some gorgonzola, and it's delicious. Oh, nice. Um, but in the old favourites, then, like you know, you can't beat a good margarita. Um, the Dublin Eight is a good one. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> just with black pudding and uh, caramelized onions. Yeah,
0: very good. And then tours are available as well, so you can come in yeah. and have a look around the, the entire brewery yeah. inside like, and see how things uh, are made.
1: Friday evening, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoons, uh, we do tours. Yeah, so you can, can get a tour for ten euro, or you can get a premium tour which includes a tasting of four beers at the end for twenty quid. So. Yeah, they're quite popular. You know, we could have between 10 and 20 people on a tour.
0: I'd like to thank Cahill for taking the time to chat and for showing me around Rascals HQ. It's a truly impressive place and I would highly recommend a visit for a brewery tour, as well as some delicious beers and pizza. For the next leg of my journey, I jump on the Lewis and head in the direction of the city centre. I hop off at Rialto and find myself with a few minutes to spare before my next interview this provides me with the perfect opportunity to pop my head into the mace on South Circular Road. Located at the back of the store is a hidden treasure trove of exceptional beer. From brand new releases to some of the more rare and limited brews, it stocks them all. It really is a hidden gem. Having picked up a few brews, I make my way towards my next stop, the Circular. First opened in December 2019, a mere 12 weeks before the pandemic struck, the Circular is the perfect example of a modern neighbourhood bar. Located on South Circular Road, its beautiful red brick facade ensures that it blends perfectly with the buildings in the surrounding area. It boasts an impressive tap list of independent Irish beer, a range of regular events, and delicious pizza. I sit down with co-owner John Mahan and ask him to tell me a little bit about the bar.
2: Uh, okay, so the circular we opened the circular in December 2019, and we got about 12 glorious weeks out of it before the pandemic brought the shutters down. Um, we were obviously then closed for two years on and off and uh, in those two years we sort of did what we had to do we kept uh, we were closed as much as we had to be and open as much as we could get away with uh, so we have a number of different operations going on in here there's a pizza operation coke pizza there's a cafe daddy's cafe and then we set up a drink store uh, like lots of people did and we called it a decent drinks club so we had three things keeping the lights on in here uh, it kept um, People in the area sort of engaged and kept us on their radar and uh, that's something we were conscious of and we didn't want to lose because we had a strong start and there was a lot of people who were coming in immediately and happy to see us and were into what we did so we didn't want to lose that and have to rebuild momentum whenever lockdowns, plural, ended. and I guess that worked. Um, it, it definitely kept us uh, relevant in the area, and you know, we got to know our locals a bit better, and we learned a few things about retail and all the rest, and now we've effectively come back full circle, and we are the pub we set out to be again. Um, and despite being here for, you know, three years nearly, uh, three years next month, um, we, uh, we effectively are, and we certainly feel like a year one pub because, over two of those years were you know, in versions of lockdowns. Uh, so we haven't yet had four seasons of uninterrupted trading. Uh, wouldn't exactly call the current four seasons normal either, but with uh, inflation and costs and war and things like that. Um, but at least we're open and we are figuring it out as we go. So yeah, it's, it's been a strange experience as opening clubs goes, but. Uh, but here we are. Yeah, very good. I like how you said you come
0: full circle as well. Very good. Yeah. Very on on theme on brand. So you said you're you're technically your your year one pub, will say, but you're here about
2: three years. Mm. What what was in the building previously? A uh, well, pub. It's been a pub for God knows so how long. Uh, I haven't dug into the history, but it means certainly 60, 70 years, I would say. Uh, it is. You know, we're just about in the suburbs here. Uh, it is. You would say you're sort of a classic village suburban pub. It's big. Uh, to be honest, it's too big, and we knew that when we got here. And our first instinct was to sort of chop it up and do different things in different spaces. Um, I think the the era of pubs these this big that can be full for random reasons is past. Uh, you need to work the space differently and work it harder. Um, but in essence, we are a local bar uh, in a, the kind of inner suburbs, and we are conscious of that. And you know, whilst we try to have a wide appeal, we know we are very much a local pub.
0: Okay, very good. Yeah, so I was just going to touch on the ethos of the place. So you are very much local bar, local pub, but yeah. you're a very strong uh, supporter of local independent Irish beer as well.
2: Mm. Why do you feel that's important within the area? Um, I mean, it was a no-brainer. We have our, our other pub, Lucky's, which came before this, and uh, from day dot there we were supporting uh, local brewers and uh, breweries. Um, it, I mean, it just it was a natural thing to do. Uh, you know, we we support artists and arts and music and smaller independent things and Lucky's anyway so it sort of fit the bill one way or the other. Um, prior to that in a previous life it sort of built relationships with the likes of Rascals, uh, got to know hopefully a little bit as well and I guess we sort of as they grew we grew and uh, you know on top of it as well there was a growing expectation from our audience that we providing local stuff and you know ultimately it's a good story to tell if you, you could pick who you want to support you want to support People you can relate to the the local, the independents, uh, people you can have a conversation with. People who have a story, and your customers want to support them too. And for us, it was about sort of getting a balance between uh, local independents uh, and I guess the bigger players as well, who you know support us in different ways, and you know people to expect as well. So uh, I'm not going to make any bold claims to be a craft beer bar um, or to have the most cutting edge. And frequently rotating lineup. We don't, but we stand over what we have. White Hag, Rascals, Hopfully, Kindergarten, They've all done really well for us. They're all. We've met them all. They're great guys. Fantastic beers. Whiplash. Um, it, it just fits. You know. That's so. That's why we stock them.
0: Um, I'd like to touch on your background a bit, then, John. So, how did you? How did you get here, basically? How did we get here?
2: Um. <clears throat> well. Uh, it depends where you want to start, I suppose. Um. So I've been in the pub game since uh, since I was a teenager in the mid '90s, and uh, in the, I, in my early 20s, I joined forces with a, a, a crowd on in sympathy then called Body Tonic, who were running a handful of club nights. I was a DJ. We were all DJs. We started doing gigs together, and more gigs, and bigger gigs, and better gigs, and that eventually led to uh, opening uh, the Burnham Shaw up in uh, Richmond Street in Portobello which is now gone, closed in 2019 uh, so uh, that was my 1st pulpit baby I guess and had 13 uh, uh, hectic years there uh, it was only supposed to be 12 months but uh, we squeezed 13 years out of it and in 2014 I departed that company and a couple of years later, I found out with my business partners Barry and Simon, and we found and opened what became Lucky's, and that was in two thousand and eighteen, and then twenty nineteen and 2019 twenty nineteen, uh, the circular, uh, well, the building was offered to us. It was already closed, same landlord as Lucky's. So he said the tenants was leaving, and would we be interested? We said we might. We checked it out, we negotiated, and uh, we took it because we, you know, we. We believe in Dublin 8 as an area. I live around here, so I, I sort of, I, I guess I know it. Um, I can see what it is. I can see how it's changing. I can see what's coming. I can see that there is and would be demand for what we offer, and the type of bar that we are uh, in the area, and growing demand at that. Uh, so that's why the, the tree bars we have now are all in Dublin 8. It wasn't really the plan at the start, the opportunities presented themselves, but they all seemed to make sense at the time, and hopefully they'll still make sense in a couple of years' time. Amazing, yeah,
0: and you, you brought it on very nicely into to Dublin Eight. It mm. about to tee it up, to mm. uh, not even have to. <laughs> um, so you've touched on like there's a lot, there's lots going on in the area mm. uh, at the moment. So wh- why do you think that is, or what what is there? I suppose special about Dublin Eight at the moment.
2: Um, I don't know if you call it special per se. I mean, it's obviously like any neighbourhood is special parts, special people, but. Um, it's it's been clear for a long time there's been a, a cohort of people moving into Double Night who you know was, let's say creatively minded or uh, discerning or interested in different things um, uh, and there was little supply of that stuff in the area. Uh, I mean we didn't invent it, we didn't you know come in and open up a fancy new bar that had people be, been sort of doing bits and pieces here and there we were just another element in that I guess uh, but it was very clear that there was a sizable amount of people who lived and worked and hung around the area who wa- weren't having their needs met now it's Dublin it's a small city you know there's always that inertia about moving away from the centre so whilst that was a strong good feeling uh, for us it was also very unclear that we were actually correct or that it would work you just had to sort of jump in feet first and go for it and believe in it and convince people to go there maybe we had a bit of an advantage in that my background is a promoter and just you know working hard to get people to come through the doors and come up with different ways to to bring people in Uh, so I suppose that was a uh, a degree of experience that we had uh, that we could bring to it, and you know it was much needed especially in Lucky's and Mead Street which uh, is a ghost town at night it's not it's not as bad as it used to be there's more stuff in the area but at the time it was us and two other places had the lights on on the whole street so it was very much a destination people were going there we'd somehow convince them to change their habits and go to Lucky's, and they'd be bringing their friends and we just have to repeat all that so it was a an informed punt you could say uh we saw things but you still have to take that leap of faith and thankfully it's worked out so far so yeah we're, we're happy with the decisions thus far
0: yeah brilliant and how have you found the the local community kind of support and buy into to what you're doing
2: fine i mean there's you know obviously just two different types of local communities and people have been there for 10 generations and then there's everybody else and uh, all the blow-ins myself included Um we like, we've had zero issues uh Everybody's been very kind and welcoming. Uh, you know, we, we don't pretend to be something we're not, and they don't assume we're something we're not either. So it's obvious that we are a contemporary offering. Um, and we have plenty of, you know, local locals who come in and check it out. They get the same welcome everybody else gets, and, uh, and why wouldn't they? Um, some people seem to be surprised with this, but uh, we are open, we don't have security. You know, there's nobody saying you can't come in. So people come in, they make their own minds up, they either like us or they don't like any pub. and. Yeah, we we found our crowd uh, within all that. Okay, brilliant. And what is it about the area that you love then? Um, it's I guess it's the, sounds cliche, but it's the people who who live and hang around here. It's it's slightly off the beaten track, uh, getting more popular all the time, but definitely at the start and still uh, it's that bit off the beaten track. So you the people who come to our places tend to be sort of interested enough to find out about our place and they want to be there they're not just passively turning into going into the, the nearest pub with the lights on Um so that develops a certain type of crowd and a certain type of atmosphere and energy and uh, that can be fun and exciting and you definitely feel like there's a there's a scene uh developing all the time so it feels I suppose a little bit special in that sense uh, and I think that's what attracts a lot of people as well and we'd have a sense as well that there's a growing amount of people who uh, want an alternative to town and there's a growing amount of alternatives to town as well which is sort of fulfilling that um, in that you can now start to go to different areas in the city that aren't the city centre not the same old haunts of St William Street and around there or you know Abbey Street and Northside or whatever it is or Temple Bar you can now go to a stony batter uh, or to increasingly a Dublin eight for a night out without a plan because now you've got options whereas you didn't until recently. Um, and that's, that's attractive to a lot of people who are kind of sick, I guess, of uh, town or how busy it is or what's become of it. Um, not to say there's not great businesses in town, but you know, it's the, it's the center of the universe and that's not attractive to everybody forever. So um, I, I think we're doing, a, one of the reasons we do okay is because of that, that you know, this kind of slightly alternative option is attractive to uh, a growing amount of people. Okay, sure, very
0: good. Yeah. Uh, let's say you have a, a rare day off, you can pull yourself away from the circular or luckies or the magnet, everything. Uh, what do you like to do in the area?
2: Um, well, I, I keep saying that I, I need to get out of my bubble because I, I live in, I suppose what you'd describe as the, the 15 minute city, everything I need on my doorstep uh, between uh, you know, where I work, uh, you know, food and drink, cafes, shops, uh, my kids' school, it's, it's all there. So it can be hard almost to get out of the the triangle between where I live in the centre of um, the Magnet, Lucky's, and the Circular. Um, uh, but I suppose when I go out, I'll, I'll go to just the local cafe, Noshington, Denside Circular Road, or I'll go to Two Pups, or Legit and Mead Street, Ups and Lucky's. Uh, there's Ground Coffee up in James Street. There's... Um, plenty of places really, there's Gallant Grey and Clambassa Street, The Headline, Leonard's Corner, Bastable across the road for a fancy meal, um, Fallon's Pub, that would be my local I guess, on in the Coombe, um, and then there's uh, plenty of other bits and pieces which are always exciting and I don't necessarily drop into them as much as I should, but uh, you have the Fourth Corner, you have Antisocial and Francis Street, um, you have the Thomas House from there for a long time, uh, yeah just there's... There's no shortage of things to do. Sure. Mm.
0: So one thing I've noticed about the circular is that it's there's events nearly every night of the week, mm-hmm. uh, which is brilliant to see, and it's making a lot of sense now that you've said you've your background in events, <laughs> so that's that's two plus two uh, adding up. Um, you have your, your table quiz every Wednesday night, I believe, and loads of other things going on. Um, how important are the events to, to
1: um, I suppose,
0: the everyday life?
2: They are essential. I, um, they're more important than I'd hoped they'd be uh, because it just takes a lot of work. Um, but it's, uh, this. Maybe going back to my first point about working the venues harder, uh, I'm sure at some point 20 years ago and beyond, this place could have been randomly packed on a Tuesday with people drinking pints for no particular reason, maybe the football is on or whatever, or not. But those days have, have, have passed, uh, and people around here do not come in and drink like that anymore, so you got to find other ways to be busy. And that's increasingly more important now, as post-pandemic there's, Definitely a change in culture, a change in habits, uh, and with deflation in mind, and all these other you know uh, negative stories, people you can feel people restricting their activities or contracting a bit and uh, not going out, or if they do go out, not spending like they used to be. I still, it's too early to say exactly how it's changed, or that it has definitely changed. But for the last year, I just haven't been able to shake the feeling that things are different, um, and what I've been describing is that it, sort of things look the same but feel different. Then maybe that's just our context where we are what we do or you know how young or old we are as a business uh, I don't know it's just gonna take a couple of years to kind of settle into some new groove but there's definitely a lot of things you could, could have counted on in the past or a lot of the norms uh, you can't rely on anymore you know so basically all this leads to the need to do events we'd want to do events anyway or some amount of events but now we both want and need to do events to establish this place to keep new people coming to get people through the door and just create, you know, multiple reasons to be as busy as we can be. OK, very good.
0: I so saw one of the initiatives you were, you were doing throughout COVID was having the Decent Drinks Club. Um, mm. I think it said it's in hibernation at the moment, but uh, great to see. And uh, hopefully it'll come back soon. So um, I suppose could you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Uh, okay. So that, that got us through the pandemic and we built a nice little crowd. We learned lots about retail and actually quite enjoyable. Um, And we set up a little sub-brand, I guess, for it, so it wasn't just the circulars off-license, it was the Decent Drinks Club. Just the idea being there that if we put all this effort into this thing and it worked, that we could have this brand that could be extended out or scaled to something else. Scaled maybe a bit lofty of a word, but um, when things reopened uh, in January, uh, we held on to it and we... Establish it in one of the spaces here in the circular and i was reasonably convinced we'd hold on to a good degree of the business but it actually it just totally dried up people went you know i guess they were happy to be able to go back out for a pint again and uh they had all these other things to do all of a sudden after two years of having nothing and um, that demand dried up uh now i was sort of at a crossroads with it then after a few months of uh, flogging a dead horse maybe um where i thought this can work, I still believe in it. I think this could work in a in its own little shop front, but where we had it situated in the pub, it felt a little bit like if we had our own door into this shop, it could probably work because people would view it as its own like shop experience, but now it just feels like you need to be in the know to come into the pub to find the place to get the drink, and that was just maybe a barrier too much for people. I think it could have been you know worked harder and it could eventually have worked, but the problem was the pub was getting busier again, so I had to make a decision. Do I and we focus on Becoming a pub again, which was, you know, it's the bread and butter that needs a focus. Um, And there was a lot to grapple with between staff challenges and, you know, the the costs and business up and down and, you know, things all over the place after uh, sudden uh, lifting of restrictions. Uh, So, anyway, we had to make the hard decision to kill the decent drinks club or at least put it into hibernation. So, we put it all away into storage and brought the seats back and now we pretend it never happened. So, we're back to being a pub. So... Yeah, who knows, uh, never say never, I'd still be interested in doing in the future, but all my time is consumed with just being a pub again and all the things that go with it.
0: So, uh, let's talk future then, what's what's coming down the line for, for The Circular and, and for yourself as well?
2: Um, for The Circular, I could not tell you, I cannot forecast beyond four weeks at the moment, and anybody who tells you can is a liar. Um, things are just too topsy-turvy and all over the place, I can't get a handle on them costs or trends or anything like that. On top of that as well we effectively are, as I mentioned, a year one pub or a new pub, so I don't really have anything to refer back to to see how are we doing compared to last year or whatever. Um, I sort of have my good feel about how things should be, um, but um, you know, it's okay I suppose, but uh, uh, the priority is basically just developing and building this place and keep iterating in what we're doing in a year's time. You know i'd say we're probably still doing events and more events and more established events and perhaps we've rejigged the space to accommodate be- events better i'd certainly like to do you know to work on our uh, outside spaces as well to make them better Um, there's a number of things i'd like to do with the venue but it's a case of uh, prioritizing them and then figuring out how to pay for them and uh, so yeah it really is just all hands to the pump at the moment uh just getting through you know week to week doing your best to just grow and be better week on week and just settling things down into a groove, and then building in a predictable, steady way. But that just takes time. There's no substitute for, for for time. You know, you just need to just get into it and get on with it. Yeah.
0: And then you do some absolutely fantastic pizzas here as well. Um, if people were to come in and just want to sit down and have a have a pizza and a pint. Mm.
2: Yeah, Coquelin pizza. It's it's a it's a big part of what we do, and it's perhaps the backbone even of what we do. Uh, they are. are Food partners. They we have them down at Lucky's initially, and then they uh, they set up shop with us here in the circular, and we opened here. Uh, set up by a guy called Dave Holmes, um, and he does a fantastic pizza himself and his team. Uh, they do one thing, they do it really well, and I have to limit myself to two of them a week. Um, far too easy to have them all the time, but uh, it's yeah, it's super popular with people in the area as well. Um, and you know, food is essential component of being a bar these days, and they do great food.
0: I'd like to thank John for taking the time to chat and for running a great space. The circular has a fantastic tap list and hosts interesting events almost every day of the week. I'd highly recommend checking it out. My third and final stop is a short stroll from the circular in the direction of Dolphin's Barn. Located in a small, tucked away industrial unit, behind the Jurassic Park-style gates as described by Shane himself, lies the Dot Brew Warehouse. Renowned for crafting a stunning range of barrel-aged beers, Dot Brew has been at the forefront of innovation in the Irish beer scene since 2016. Their warehouse contains racks upon racks of barrels, which were previously filled with any number of spirits, wines or beers under the sun. It's here where Dot Brew founder Shane Kelly ages, blends and once ready, packages his beers for distribution. There's absolutely no point in me trying to explain it any further, I'll leave it to Shane to do the honours. I sit down with him in Dot HQ, and ask him to introduce himself and to tell us a little bit about
3: Dot Brew. Cool. Uh, so Shane Kelly, uh, the well, the founder of, of Dot Brew. Um, we started about six years ago. It was three of us: there was uh, Pete, Mike, and myself. Um, started from homebrew roots, really. Um, so it's that thing of when you make a good homebrew, you know, you'll share it. You make a bad one, penance is to drink it yourself. So there was a there was a bit of both. Um, yeah, I started six years ago. Uh, we've been on contract Gypsy or Cuckoo Brewing since at the moment we produce in three different locations then we have our own space in Dolphin's Bar in the warehouse so that's uh, only barrel side of things and distribution and then we have a dedicated canning line now just, just for the barrels which is kinda cool so kinda keeping that all in-house um, but yes uh, starting six years ago uh, I suppose the, the origins back then in the Irish marketplace would have been the Trinity you, know, you release a, blonde, a pale, a red, and a stout. Uh, I suppose all the stuff that we, I was doing as a home brewer was a little bit different from that, and it was very much influenced from some of the bigger names in the states. You're kind of looking at what what what's kind of going on there, and what you're picking up in the off licenses. And it's kind of it started was kind of mimicking that, and then you learn to adapt and play around with different ingredients. And the barrel stuff was was you know the origins is from being a wine and whiskey drinker myself and. Seeing how far we could push that. So, even the the, the the champagne beer that we did originally back five years ago, the origins of that was actually my daughter's christening event or christening, whatever you want to call it, a celebration event. And it was, yeah, it was a champagne beer, uh, Brett, funny enough, at the time. And yeah, that was kind of the start to or origins. So, I think for the first two or three years of DOT, all of the releases had already been done as homebrews, it was kind of, are uh, tweaked and kind of, you know, kind of scaling it up. Um, is a little bit different going from kit to kit. Uh, so yeah, Origins were in Craftworks and then we've kind of jumped around a few times. Um, so we've brewed in a few different places now at this stage, but try to keep the same beers. Now we're trying to keep the same beers in the same locations just for consistency. And um, I'm playing to the strengths of each brew house then as well, and, and brewers. Um, yeah, six years ago, first beers were Session Rye which was basically a pale rye with mosaic. And the first beer we ever brewed commercially was was a 8 Imperial Stout. Something that was brewed in two thousand and f- November two thousand and fifteen, and wasn't released then until May two thousand and sixteen. So that adds up, yeah. Uh, and again, that was that was Teeling. So again, we we can talk about Teeling, who are our neighbours here in, in Dublin Eight, who have been extremely supportive, literally from day dot. Um. So that that. Relationship has kind of blossomed, and there's been a lot of kind of collaborative uh, projects on that since.
0: Um, you mentioned you touched on it there uh, since day dot. One of my questions is where, where did the name dot come from or dot brew? <laughs> uh,
3: Post rationalization. So, my, my, my background is architectural technology, so I'm a fan of straight lines um, and geometry. And we like the symbol of dot that kind of seven intersecting circles. Yeah, s spans from the the symbol of symbolism of the seed of life, uh the being the, the start or the origins or something. Um anything from like, you know, the dot of ink on the start of a symphony to uh, the tiny acorn turning into the mighty oak. Um there was a lot more geekery around the first set of beers and it got to a point where I was the only person who understood it, so we just didn't market it. <laughs> it was yeah, it was yeah, there was like symbols for flavour profiles and uh, yeah talking about being overly elaborate uh, so it all pared back and it just became uh dot so dot brew the whole idea was dot and it could be you know we've we do we're doing dot wild now the second release will come up at the end of this year uh, and that the Dot could be the overall encompassing starting point and anything below that is is a, you know a tertiary or a, a, what would you call it um, separate or, or a, a branch off of the main yeah so that's it dot brew Okay. Uh, really bad idea when you're trying to tell someone your email address though <laughs> shane at dot brew dot e dot 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 no no d-o-t b-r-e-w shane <laughs> at dot brew dot e yeah but you've got to spell it <laughs> i definitely rethink that one
0: <laughs> something i never thought about yeah that's brilliant <laughs> so you touched on it your background um and you you have a love for kind of wine and whiskey and that's kind of where a, a lot of the, the barrel ethos came from was there a moment or like a spark or inspiration that you, you tried a barrel aged beer and you were like wow this is this is what i need to be doing or or where did the, the i suppose the spark come from
3: yeah that's a good question it's funny you kind of forget about these things it's kind of Can you, you know, if you take a time capsule of the time back, you know, even as a home brewer you go back seven or eight, you know, eight, nine years. And what were you drinking? Well, like the what was around was probably a little bit limited, like on the IPA side of things. uh, Odell's IPA was probably like the pinnacle of a really bright um, uh, IPA. Then on the barrel stuff, it was travel. So you're kind of picking up bits and pieces. And, you know, that stuff from the rare barrel company in the U.S. or... Uh, what are they called, Armagnac. 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 yeah. Um, so from that, and it's just, yeah, you're kind of picking up the oddities and realising that there's so much more, and again, the whiskies or the wines that, that I would have been drinking would have been, I wouldn't say heavily oaked, but they would have had an oak character to it, so you can kind of see where the influence of different tannins work, or, or it's even like wines that have, uh, you know, elements of, I don't know, there's one called, uh, there's a wine called Guru sixty five, I think it is, or 59, 65. Um There's a I don't I don't even know if it's in production anymore, but it was a, an amazing red wine. But it had French and American oak, and you could you could identify both elements in three different grape varietals. I was like that was kind of like a key unlocking. It was like holy shit, this can kind of actually, um, you know, it can add something to it. It's not just it's another it's another level of flavor into it um, or into the, into the product. And you can see it from whiskey now as well, like Teeling Do the Wonders of Wood. We've done uh, expressions and kind of behind the scenes R&D and different varietals of wood, everything from cedar, which got released, to juniper, to fig, which did not get released, uh, applewood, which also didn't get released. Uh, <laughs> but it's trying all these things, like chestnut is an absolute savage wood as well. That It's just a little bit harder to get, get at, but uh, juniper is amazing as well. But again, to get a juniper barrel, like thirty liters. They're tiny because juniper, by by design, is kind of woody and kind of a, a more of a hedge than than an actual tree. Uh, so yeah, it's all those things. But even as a home brewer, I was playing around with different types of wood and influence. Um, so originally, pre pre dot uh, on site here. Actually, the container is still here. I had a little home brew setup that took over a container here, which is basically an old. Um, Building site, uh, uh, which is called a canteen, It's had water and everything on site. I think it was brewing two or three times, two or three like in the space of a week. You'd probably do four or five batches of 50 liters, and you're kind of plowing it out. And between that, then we had a wild, little little wild project again, not to contaminate that. Then what is now student accommodation on Mill Street in in WN8. Um used to brew out the boot of the car in the basement of Dame Lane underneath the Fumley exchange at one point and it was all that, uh, it was just a hunger for trying new things and exploring combinations. Um, half the stuff wasn't even drank but it was, everything was a building block to learn something else. Um, and it was, you know, everything down to, like, I, never, I didn't do science in school but yet I could read uh, you know a, a, a water analysis book for brewing because I could see it and I could, you know, uh, understand it. Um, Same like any of those kind of chemistry side, the chemistry side of things, where I had no background in that. But when you apply it to something that you're interested in, Jesus, it un- unlocks it. Um, so that was kind of kind of straight off the point. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, no, it's all all relevant. It was, it was the inspiration where it came from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. yeah
3: just taste, uh, trying things, and food as well. Like we've like uh, we've got an amazing food culture in Ireland. If you're open to trying new things um again as a as a home brewer i go down to um the likes of fallon and burn i pick up a piece of fruit that i've never tasted before never even, didn't even know what it was and you taste it and it was just that thing of clocking up a library of tastes or a reference point and i kind of still do that because otherwise you kind of go stagnant or stale and um, same with the kind of dessert wines and stuff like that it's getting to know the, the differences of different uh, madeiras uh, or different marsalas uh, and how that could influence um, any kind of dessert wine or a kind of any kind of spirit how that could influence a beer uh, and what could you pair with it that it doesn't fight but it, it accentuates the the beer character um, so I still do that I enjoy, enjoy I just I enjoy Flavour and taste. I suppose that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. A lifelong commitment to R and D. I'll we'll yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs>
3: you don't get this figure uh, <laughs> without uh, dedication. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I'd like to touch on, I suppose, the ethos of the brewery. We've obviously discussed barrels in depth. Um, yep. There's a lot of barrel aging going on. There's also non-barrel aged beers. Yep, um, but then in terms of the beer range, so so what sort of uh, beer styles are, are coming out of that? And what are you aging
3: in barrels? you are you not aging? Yeah. Um, I Like, yeah, I think there's there's maybe a little bit of hop fatigue. Um, and we kind of saw that kind of creeping in last year. So we've kind of pulled back a lot on the specials and focused on just very well-made well core. Um, where we still have the IPAs because that, that's what the, the vast um, the vast amount of this was a craft uh, customer wants, uh, but also pilsners and lagers like really well made pils is is you know something to behold. Um, so we've been definitely playing a lot more with that, uh, and even putting lagers into barrels as well, which is very very fine touch. So to a point where we can move our tanks and we're moving the tanks to the barrels to to transfer out. Just so we're not getting um you know extensive oxygen pickup or sloshing the beer around in the barrel um all of those kind of require slightly different touches uh and then just going down the route like okay so what have we got on you know say the baltic porter idea can we just take a pilsner and a H stout and create the same kind of flavor profile without i always find porter baltic porters being a little bit tinny or maybe a little bit metallic Um, so it's kind of cold colder dark malts, colder fermented dark malts Um, so playing with that, box, double box Uh, so definitely playing with larger yeast this year a fair bit Um, non-alcoholic is something that we've been looking at for like three years maybe more, Um, which I'm not going to say we've got it right just yet um, but we're still playing with it, Um, it's that again it's a it is a difficult, st- low ABV styles are difficult to get the flavor in. Like Alcohol is a carrier. Uh, alcohol, like you're basically creating a tincture and it'll absorb everything else around it and hold it. If you take that building block away, what can you do? And that's that's kind of what we're playing with now. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I suppose, chin deep and non-alcoholic at the moment, just trying to see if, like, we won't release it if we're not happy. Um, yeah. And at the moment, we're not quite happy, but we're very, very close. Yeah. That would be brilliant to see on the market, yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that dry January will get people in the headlock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, just play, playing. We're happy to we're happy to take a punt, and we've got really cool customers that are, that are like the vendors that we deal with. They're happy to explore, which yeah. is great. So you know, like doing uh, a hellas, uh, which is a style we'd never brewed before, uh, and just doing a hellas with uh, Sweeney's and D Three is great. Uh, Redmond's in Radla are forever. Jimmy comes up with a, an idea or a barrel, and we design a beer to the barrel. Like that's so much fun to do. Um, same with like uh, Martin's as well. God, I'm gonna I'm gonna say all these people. I'm gonna forget soon. So uh, <laughs> yeah. lots of like Bradleys as well. Recently, Black Rock Cellar, like invoice number zero zero one zero 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 one um, was to as to black rock seller the guys have been so Brilliant. supportive yeah. um since since again since the very start and all those relationships they're like personal relationships you know the guys well um but we were give- I, I was giving them the stuff that was coming out of the container here uh, as taste before we ever released our first stop brew and giving they're giving you know honest feedback i think that was as a home brewer yeah, your mates are all going to say, oh, free beer is always great, you know, <laughs> but if you want to expand that out, you need to have that constructive criticism. Um, so, yeah, just keep playing. That's basically it, yeah. Yeah, excellent. So then, I
0: suppose I'd like to move on to your background a little mm. bit. So um, w- what is your background?
3: Yeah, uh, architectural technology. Um, so what does that mean? A uh, kind of more... On the drawing side and more site work within architectural practices. So, the first practice I, I worked with was Maria Lear, which was based in Dublin 8 off, um, off what you call it? geez, I've forgotten it, just there in, in off Fumbly, Fumbly Lane. Uh, then they went belly up and in 2009, ended up working for uh, Mola Architecture, which was a spin off from, from that. And then, uh, through the help of the Fumbly Exchange, which is a co working environment. They basically gave me a desk uh, for a couple of months. What uh, I basically—it's a parachute. You're standing on the edge of a cliff. You're like, okay, I want to do something. I want to do something differently. Uh, with the support, obviously, of my my wonderful understanding uh, partner, um, yeah, jumped off the cliff. They gave me a parachute. Worked uh, like I've actually been working architectural technology for the first four years of DOT as well. So DOT was the second full-time job, and it's only the last two years now that have gone kind of full-time at it so uh, and since then we've been able to hire in-house as well which is great because it just means we you know we're able to give a better service Uh, we're able to see more do more Um, but that took a time so we grew very very organically from from a very small start and a small capital um, and kind of built it up from there so yeah architectural technology everything from uh, everything from I suppose from initial design concepts, fire certs, dacs, planning all the way through to site supervision. Um, and yeah that kind of plays on how you build a beer. I still think of a beer as a, as a it sounds corny but as a building it's that idea of foundation, uh, the idea of cladding, which is kind of like your you know your aromatics uh, and then the kind of the overall finishes. Um, yeah it's kind of or, or how you build a dish of food like there's all these kind of correlations between each and how you approach things. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically where I've come from uh, Mikey is the same, architectural technology by trade um, still um, himself and his wife run a practice and then um, uh, Pete is the master of the gold guild of Casio he's basically the, the accountant, black and white fella who just tuts and looks down his glasses I mean, oh, oh well, <laughs> he's blind as a coot he looks down his glasses, he can't see us, but that's what he do but it's great, it's a really good dynamic because if you just had creatives Working together, they get nothing done, uh, or they get lots done, but but it wouldn't last very long. So having the black and white element is 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 key, you know. Um, so I said, yeah, it started from very humble beginnings, and then keep keep kind of building. We're still still very small. Um, yeah. But everything that we've achieved so far is, you know, help from help of you know customers, friends, family. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so all all good. Yeah, Still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's great to hear about that organic growth, and I suppose like the like dot itself, it's it's a very ambitious project in in what you set out to do in terms of the barrel aging beers, especially the Irish market. So it's it's absolutely brilliant to see you grow along organically and be able to to take that plunge, I suppose, and, and, and I guess, lose the parachute, as, yeah. as you said.
3: Yeah, well, you know, the there was a couple of things we were told early doors. You read a load of books on people who'd started, you know, the the you know Dogfish Head book and starting how they started, and a few other kind of, you know, the Mickler or whatever, Brewdog, whatever. You read plenty of these books when you're starting out, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even, uh, what's your man's name? Odell Brewery. Tim, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, saying things like, you know, Cash is King. And uh, you're starting a business and you're like, oh yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and like at the start, we were trading, trading architectural services for brewing time. That's kind of where, like I said, yeah. it's pretty, bloody organic. Um, but yeah, and it's, yeah, I suppose having the right people around you. And then there was a couple of things we were told to you're only ever two bad beers away from bust. I think that was a really good way of, of looking at things is that if you're not happy with it, you don't let it out. Um, what was the other one? You can have the best beer in the world and if it sits on the shelf it's useless mm. so re- the rea- the reality is where we make beer the person behind the counter is probably the one that's selling it and it's you know making sure that the the vendors like will always leave a sample of beer of everything we release we will leave a sample with the shop so they can try it and um, so they can under- get an understanding of of what the re- what it is they're selling and we get feedback from them which is good as well um, yeah so that's their their Three things always forget, always remember, but oh, yeah. sometimes forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And then I suppose, how did you find out that you have this brilliant palette for for blending beers and, and you know doing the things you do? I,
3: I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I have a brilliant palette at all. I would um, uh, cooking curries. <laughs> 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 I make a <it> mean curry. <laughs> um, no, it's like the barrels, we do tours, or we kind of do, you know, even say the barrel adopters thing, we do tour inside, and it's very much the right side of the room is, is the spice rack. A barrel on its own, like you could get a unicorn, and they're so rare, where one barrel will stand out and shout, and it's, don't touch it, take it out of the barrel, package it as soon as possible. But the majority of the time you need, you'd have a barrel that might be, a little, the beer might be a little bit dry, the other one might be sweet, and you kind of balance those out, and... Um, It is literally like how you'd prepare a dish of food. Uh, It's like you, 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 where you would see if you cook, you season. Uh, With creating a barrel aged beer, it's no different. Uh, It's awesome when a unicorn comes along. um, I'd love to say they're all unicorns, but that's that's a lie. So it's how do you play with what you have? Yeah, it's basically it. And the world, like it's endless. Uh, Like with all the speciality barrels that are coming in now. And that's a lot down to, say, the Irish whiskey, the growth of Irish whiskey and the innovation that's in that sector uh, means that we have access to those barrels now. So we're kind of intercepting uh, whether it's, you know, whatever dessert wines or different malts or different, you know, even just uh, red, really fresh red and white wines uh, or tequilas or whatever else, whatever is, you know, literally the world is your oyster and you can find it if you know where to look. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good fun, definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, that moves us nicely then into Dublin 8 itself, so you're, you're located here in Dolphin's Barn, um, you're a stone's throw away from Teeling Distillery actually as well, I know there's a strong connection there.
3: Yeah, yeah, they said the, the very first beer we ever did was was aged in Teeling, I remember having a, 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 a conversation with Jack Teeling down in the cafe, down in the, the distillery, uh, kind of doing an introduction of what we are and, you know, please give us a couple of your barrels. <laughs> please, please. Uh, and in fairness, he, like, he, I've got a lot of time for Jack. Um, again, what they do is extremely innovative. And he took a punt. He, did, he could have just said no. Like, how many people are knocking on their door? Um, so he gave us two, and that was the very first beer we released. And then we refilled them again, ended up sending those barrels back to them, and that whiskey uh, was released then as an exclusive to the to the visitor center, um, and since then, we've had that barrel exchange. So if you look down the yard here, there's whatever thirty odd barrels that are only re- emptied in the last like week or so. They they will go back to Teeling then for refilling. So they're on their fourth, are soon to release their fourth uh, co-branded whiskey, which is which is really cool because it's not a one-way street. It means you know they we're we're getting something out of it, and they're getting something out of it. Uh, and they're forever you know they'll come up with the wackiest mad idea and you know they've just got such a great team there even on the marketing side that they'll kind of look at it and they'll explore w- where that could fit when what they're doing um again they have a lot of time great team up there so yeah and yeah touch wood it, it uh, uh they're happy to keep going yeah, yeah absolutely
0: um so there's a lot going on in the area like it's a, it's a there's a real buzz there's a there's a lot happening in Dublin Eight at the moment. Um, how did you end up here? And I suppose how long have you been here?
3: Yeah. So, uh I've been working in Dublin 8 since I finished college, which is I think 17 years ago. <laughs> 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 uh with a, a small stint in in uh, on Dame Lane um for, for a couple of years. Uh so yeah, and I also li- I lived in the area up until a couple of years ago as well. So, I we used to live in the tenters which is like the beating heart of 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 residential uh Liberties area um with like we lived on a, a cul-de-sac of, of eight houses and we first moved in we bought the we bought the house the house was number nine we bought it on the ninth to the ninth and the ninth a little bit superstitious um and we popped into the neighbors say hello um and they introduced and like they the they had been living there for 30 odd years the um, the guy's mother lived on across the road on the cul-de-sac <laughs> and they're kind of going through each house. And it's like, oh, they're blow-ins. And how long are they for here? It's like, oh, I hear 11 years. Like, 11 years was still a blow-in. Like, it's like, <laughs> um, so uh, he, uh, like the level of community in that area is absolutely staggering. And I would hope that it's still there. I know that it, there's a lot of redevelopment for, for you know, like the likes of uh, student accommodation and, and hotels. And I just, I would hope that the community aspect doesn't get killed. Because when we were, you know, we were starting, uh, Matthew, who now who now works uh, with me, um, uh, he he's a furniture designer and manufacturer by by trade. He had an office, which was uh, office and workshop, which was actually a converted toilet. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> it was like uh, down on off Mill Street at the back of Teeling, actually. Funny enough, uh, and at one point he had an office side and then he had the workshop side and all the wild funky stuff. Uh, that I was doing as a home brewer was in his office gurgling away uh, so and like within that the, you had so many uh, artists and um and the only fear of what's happening now where there's like a level of regeneration is that it might be pushing those people out well it's not might be it is where the building that we're in the landlord has no interest in, in selling. He could, but like we're sitting right above a coffee roasters at the moment. We've got a, a power lifters gym, with a really nice bunch of people that are kind of training for European and world championships. And we've got uh, furniture manufacturers all in one building. And it's like, almost feels like one of the last strongholds uh, <laughs> um, in this in this particular area. But like with that comes innovation. Like you've got really cool, like say the, the circular up the road. They took a bar that was you know old school carvery pub uh fairly rough and they've converted it into something completely different and um, you know jeff opened the head jeff and moira opened the headline like they're servicing a, a new a new kind of wave of of residents and as long as those elements kind of hold or even at the third spaces are developed then yeah that, that community aspect can hold but like there is a massive amount of innovation in the area. It always has been. Um, uh, it's not. It's kind of going back where forty odd breweries and distilleries, because you know they're outside the city walls and the tax for the incoming grain was cheaper. Uh, and it was kind of lawless. It was the liberties. You know, um, there is still a lot of innovation and creativity. Um, I just yeah, you'd hope to see that that retains. Otherwise, it'll it'll lose a bit of its own its soul. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay so let's say you have a, a rare day off you're you're not working away on, on dot brew stuff you're not you're not in the warehouse uh, amongst the barrels um what would be your favorite thing to do in the area
3: Do you know if it if it's if it's a case of kind of getting out and meeting up with a couple of people is yeah it's out for a pint or two um, my kids rate Rascals Pizza as like their within their top two so which is awful because it means I get to go climbing and then have you know in in um, in behind yeah. um, in gravity and then uh, pop in for pizza and, and beer which is you know absolutely terrible for me but <laughs> great for them um, so like yeah it's even even simple things like if you like we generally just end up eating lunch standing up and every so often you're like you know what alright that's it we'll go actually sit down and grab a bit of lunch And whether it's the Fumbly Fumbly Cafe, which, you know, the the test of time, they're constantly innovating and doing, uh, they do good food. Um, And even during COVID, then they kind of reimagined what they were offering. Like all those places, just you can absorb what's going on. You can sit there for a few minutes and just kind of see what's going on. Uh, And it's amazing. Yeah, familiar faces. Um, So yeah, a pint. I haven't been out for a pint for ages. So I'm going to say pint. And then, Yeah, used to be big into climbing pre uh, BC before children. Um, So. Uh, but my kids are starting to get into that now and Rascals is perfectly located for that then as well. <laughs> yeah, very convenient. Yeah, very, very, very convenient, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, you mentioned it earlier, uh, the Barrel of Doctor programme. Um, it's something that, that I love and part of. Um, I, for the past couple of years, I love everything about it, just the the idea of it, the concept. Um, could you explain a bit about what it is?
3: Yeah, first brain envelope to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the whole idea was to to be able to... Um, I suppose communicate a little bit better with, with customers and then offer something completely unique um, and get a maybe a bit of a better insight into what we're actually doing behind the Jurassic Park door and barbed wires. Um, so that that was kind of the origins of it. Now it has I think it's evolved, and I think we're forever looking at ways to improve it. I think the the form uh, set up this year through the crackbeer community, I think that made a big difference because things get lost in emails, whatever else. So the whole idea is that um the start of the year, we do, so you get a, a bag of cans. Um, and next year, be a little bit different, it'll be cans and maybe a t-shirt, don't quote me on that. Um, and then we get people to vote on barrels that they want to see used, and they get a vote on styles. And this year, the, the suggestions were, were savage, they were stellar. I think we were only looking for one or two. Um, actually this year we were kind of trying to split them between seasons as well so kind of like a summer and then a, a, and then a winter which became autumn and winter because <laughs> the barrels are ready when they're ready um, but so the suggestions this year were, were amazing I think we ended up brewing maybe four or five of them um, uh, so yeah so it's I suppose it's having a little bit of input it's getting those beers then uh, as exclusivity to the, the members and um, And then outside of that it's like this year we finally got to do the event so it's an event down in dolphins barn um kind of just trying out whatever whatever you know whatever we have we've been holding on to like this year we saw the two big bottles two six liter bottles been cracked open um it's really nice because one it's you're getting to see people's face face to face it's not just an email or uh, a little you know character on on social media a teeny tiny little photo and you're trying like i'm pretty sure i recognize them yeah. <laughs> um so yeah for that it's trying to get a little bit more input and for us it's a better connection then to to the guys who are who are who are interested you know who, who are game uh and then constantly trying to do like again looking at ways to improve it look like even trying to get feedback on the event what what should we have done differently uh how can we how can we make it better um we kind of we kind of grow from that and we get like great ideas because people who are there like it's a it's a whack of money at the start as well it's not for everybody and it's the other thing we'd never never want to push someone away based on on money so if it's not a case of doing like we have done uh, installments so that we don't you know we're not uh, i suppose uh, alienating anyone from who wants to be a part of it um so yeah that's kind of where it's at get this like we're close to having the second box for 2022 out be in the next couple of weeks um and then we're starting to see you know again looking for feedback and then seeing what we can what we can do to make 2023 even better okay
0: excellent and then moving on to future plans then, what's on the horizon for that?
3: Uh, immediately, or pretty much immediately, is uh, building, so we're on, on site here, building another little space, 40 square meters, it'd be cold room. So we basically strip everything that's packaged out of the... Oh, there's actually there's a there's a lovely bit in this as well so we're stripping everything out of the warehouse that's packaged and into the cold room and i just i think this summer now we, we just reduced down the amount that we were holding because the the temperatures were, were higher now we were originally in a different unit in the same building I About mean, four years ago we had to get a dehumidifier that i could just barely see over to make sure that we got the humidity down in, in the room we didn't have that problem uh, this year, thankfully, um, we also had really bad yields that year because we basically stripped all the <laughs> beer out of the barrel yes. through a dehumidifier. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so cold room, uh, but it allow us to expand on fixed tanks. We have our mobile tanks that we use, basically like IBCs for for want of a better description. Uh, more fixed tanks and more barrels into that unit, and that just becomes very much um, uh, the the barrel element and um, the cool thing with the exp- expansion due to licensing requirements is we have to have an element of production in the new unit new area to satisfy revenue so we now have a home for dot wild completely separate for everything else oh, <laughs> amazing yeah yeah so yeah happy with that uh so that's kind of that's the most immediate um i think it's hard to tell what's coming down the track so we're just kind of keeping things pretty lean and doing what we're doing what we do and you know, staying small uh, gives us a flexibility to kind of, you know, uh, pirouette on dime if we if we need to. Um, I think that's been our success. You know, it's a level of success we're at now is just having flexibility and be able to, you know, we can do large orders or we can do small. Uh, and, you know, that's, yeah, flexibility is key. I think that's going to be more important where if you'd asked me maybe last year what the plans were, I would have said pots and pans. Uh, maybe not so much now. Right now, so to we'll see where things see where things things go now for the next year or two. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it.
0: Okay, very good. And then you mentioned um, we were in at the the barrel Adopter event. We got out, have, have a look around the warehouse and see everything. You don't do, I suppose, publicly available tours, but you do do tours. You can you can get in touch and then you can organize a private tour.
3: Yeah, yeah. Say so we don't we don't advertise it. But yeah, we do private tours. So generally, just kind of groups. Kind of, we found. Now we've done larger numbers up to kind of twenty-five people. And we found you know from six to twelve is a nice number because it's intimate. Um, you get to try a few beers, generally just to keep you vertical, we'll pair them with with meats and cheese uh, on the day then as well. And that just yeah, again, meat a beer and cheese just goes so much better than wine and cheese. Uh, I won't I won't go into the into that now. But anyway, the, so yeah, we do. Uh, it's just a case of getting in touch through uh, barrels at um, at the moment we're kinda of closed for that because we're hammering out our our uh, Christmas stuff. At the moment Christmas started kind of three weeks ago for us. Um, so we're kinda of plowing that out and then there's not enough room to move <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the warehouse. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. People are interested, we're always happy to have people down. Yeah. Uh, it is a small space, so we'll yeah, the tour doesn't last very long.
0: <laughs> I'd like to thank Shane for taking the time to chat and for showing me around the warehouse. If you like the sound of what the team at Dot Brew do, then I'd highly recommend getting in touch with them directly to organise a tour. You can also pick up their range of beers throughout the majority of independent off-licences around the country. As we start to wrap up our episode of Beer Destination, Dublin 8, I'd like to thank all three of my guests once more and I'd like to thank you for listening. It's clear that there's a vibrant, independent beer scene in Dublin 8. I hope this episode has helped to highlight that, and if you don't already live there, I hope it's encouraged you to pay it a visit. As stated from the outset, there are simply too many spots in Dublin 8 to try and cover them all in one podcast episode. With that in mind, we will return to Dublin 8 in the future. The beer community in Ireland is an amazing space full of so many fantastic people. At Crack we aim to champion independent brewers and everyone else involved in the independent beer scene and support them as best we can. If you'd like to learn more about Crack, you can get involved in the Beery discussion at crack-beer-community.ie. It's free to join and always will be. You can also check us out on Twitter, at Crack Community, and on Instagram, at Crack Beer Community. As a final note, if you enjoyed the podcast, then please feel free to rate it, and also subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new releases. So that's it for now, thanks again for listening, and slauncha.